And uh, I don't know if you were reading in the bulletin, but uh, the title of this morning's message is Saved, Saved, Saved. And uh, try to explain that during the process uh, of our time exploring God's Word this morning. But I'll tell you, the Bible tells us, the Bible has an awful lot to say uh, about salvation. And that is God's eternal purpose for mankind. Aren't you glad that God came seeking you? That it didn't depend upon you seeking God. If, if our salvation depended upon what we could do or what we should do, we would all be lost. But it's not. It's dependent upon God. And now before you take that too far, we're not Calvinist here. We don't believe that God programs salvation into certain people and damnation into others. We can't, I can't find that in Scripture. I find a God that wants all to be saved, but a God that has no other choice when mankind refuses the salvation He so freely offers. And so what I want us to do is I want us to Look through the scriptures. We're going to be moving around a little bit, especially early on in the message. Uh, It's interesting. Why don't we turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll find this phrase there twice. Matthew chapter 7. This is the summary, the ending of the greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount by the greatest preacher that ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And... uh, Uh, Jesus preached this entire sermon and the amount of time it would take someone to read or speak it out loud. And uh, yet, in our Thursday nights a couple of years back, we went through the Sermon of the Mount. It took us about 18 months to go through what Jesus did in just a little bit. And uh, the emphasis is, uh, the reason for that is not that we have a greater understanding. It just takes us that long, much longer to understand what Jesus said. We're, we're not getting smarter, contrary to popular belief. It takes us a little longer to comprehend things most of the time. And in the summary of this message, we find one of the most interesting phrases. Don't you think the term... When someone would call Jesus, Lord, Lord, don't you think that would be a good thing? It's only found five times in your Bible. And never once is that term used in addressing the Lord by someone who has Bible salvation. Now, how many of you, that shocked you just a little bit? Uh, It did me when I was going through. I said, certainly, we we as Bible-believing Christians would say, Lord, but... Here's the problem. You ever met somebody that's trying to prove something to you? I mean, we've all heard the jokes. I hope we have no used car salesmen here today. Uh, And not all used car salesmen are dishonest, that's for sure. But when the guys stand there saying, Listen, I can swear to you on a stack of Bibles. This is owned by a little old lady who only drove it to church on Sunday. How many of you had problems finding parking here? I'll tell you, it's easier to walk most of the time now, isn't it? But uh, somebody that is telling you over and over again why you should believe them, 
usually has a problem with people believing them. And so be careful. And, and that's what we find here. We find some people who are trying to convince the Lord that they are right. Now, is Jesus ever anything but right? He is he's always right, isn't he? And, and I want us to just read this passage here. And uh, we're going to start down in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. You notice the word never is there. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, doesn't that sound like an awful sharp rebuke for someone who says, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Do you know what the, the, the Bible idea of prophesy? Most of us think of Elijah uh, walking in the wilderness and telling of things that have not yet happened, but that was only one job of the prophet. Elijah also stuck his fingers in Ahab's face and said, you're the one that troubleth Israel. He didn't need any special knowledge to know that Ahab's sin was the problem with Israel and that his wife's leadership in false religion had caused God's judgment to fall upon his people. He needed no insight. All he needed to do was know what the Bible said. And the prophet today, in that aspect, that's part of the job of being a preacher. There's going to be preachers lined up saying, Lord, Lord, <laughs> wait a minute, Lord, I've got an ordination here. I'm, a, I'm the very reverend Dr. So-and-so, or, or the Dr. Very Reverend, or however you do all those titles. We don't have those titles in the Baptist church for a reason. Because we don't want our focus on men, we want it on God. Because no matter how much education you have, if you're not saved, it's not worth a hill of beans. Well, actually, a hill of beans is actually worth something. I don't know where that phrase came from. But it's not worth anything. You see, people say and give all kinds of reasons why they are saved. And I'm not here to try to talk you out of your salvation today, but the reason why I, the first point of this message is saved with a question mark, saved, is because many people have problems trying to figure out whether they're truly saved or not. In fact, I don't know of, of a Christian who has truly trusted in the Lord as their Savior that has not at one time doubted the point to whether they're saved or not and struggled with that to try to settle that thing and make sure their salvation. In fact, one of my daughters just had a period of several months where she was, Daddy, I'm not sure I'm saved. 
And being the kind and loving father that I am, I said, listen, daddy can't figure that out for you. You got to figure that out for yourself. Because nobody can get saved for you. And you can't get saved for anyone else. My oldest son took almost a year to straighten that out. Remember that, Peter? He'd come into my office and sit down and said, Dad, I'm just not sure. And we'd start talking. I said, now, son, you can't get saved till you're lost. And if you are saved, you certainly don't need to get saved again. Uh, I've met some preachers and they say, well, just pray the prayer to make sure. You know, that's the absolute worst thing you can do. You don't just pray another prayer. Because that's not how you get saved, my friend. God does not save you because you are better at praying than someone else. What kind of God would that be? He saves you because you're obedient to His Word. And I'm here today to tell you that you can say, Lord, Lord, all you want. You can be baptized in every baptistry in New York City, and that would take a while. You can do many wonderful works. Those are the attributes that are listed here by the Lord Himself. And He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because salvation is a personal living relationship with a personal living God. Can we say amen to that? Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. This is a story. A real story really happened. The Bible does not give us the name of the man that is in the story. We call him the rich young Ruler. The reason we know this as we read in Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 19, the very same story as recorded by the different uh, writers of Scripture, we find out that he was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler. He was one of those people we just might say had everything that life could offer. To have power to be a ruler... To be rich, those are things that people desire. Many have sold their souls for those things. But to be young and to have all of those things. Now that's an amazing feat indeed, is it not? When I was a a student in Bible college, I paid part of my tuition by working in a nursing home. And uh, I took care of a man one time and he, he came in and, and they brought him into the nursing home for just short-term stay. And one night I was there and he decided he was going to talk to me. And he said, you know, he said, if I had my brains in your body, he said, I'd rule the world. And I said, God's a little smarter than that, isn't he? And walked out of the room. But this rich young ruler had all of those things. His whole life was in front of him. And I believe it's in Mark. It tells us that he comes running 
and falling down before Jesus and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I can't think of a better question to ask of the Lord Jesus than that one. Could you? What, what greater question could you ask? What must I do to inherit or have eternal life? What, am I, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus' answer was really simple. Give everything up. Give it all away and follow me. Now, just so you don't get the wrong idea, there's a lot of people through history says, give everything to me and follow me. That's not... That's a cult. Jesus said, give it to others and follow me. Now, let me tell you something. If there's something between you and God, something keeping you from following God, you're going to have to give it up in order to get saved. That's all there is to it. You cannot have Jesus and your religion. You cannot have Jesus and your life plan. Jesus is not here to endorse what is in your heart. He is to rewrite your heart. Because what's in your heart is not Scripture. The Bible says we don't even know how to pray as we ought. And yet we all think that we have life completely figured out. Wrong. Give it up and follow the Savior. The saddest part of this story is this young man went away sorrowful for he had great riches. And the disciples then ask him in verse 22 and and 25, I'm sorry. It says, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed and said, who then can be saved? They said, listen, If this rich young ruler that has all these blessings in life and all of these things, if he's not saved, Lord, who in the world is saved? Because these people had a mistaken idea about what salvation was. How many people, I'm glad I don't have the number, have come through my office, have been able to counsel with them a little bit over the years. And Well, Pastor, you don't understand. All I want is a good life. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. That's not a good enough reason to get saved. Uh, I will tell you this from personal experience. You cannot have a better life than one you give to Jesus. You cannot improve upon what the Savior will do with your life if you will give it to Him. You can't do better than He will. But that's not why you get saved. How many people are going to miss heaven because they have a good life? That was a rich young ruler. They ask him, Lord, who who then can be saved? Jesus' answer was very simple. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
Amen. I want you to turn with me to one more passage. Let's turn to Luke chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 13. Verse 23, the disciples asked him another question. Then said one of his disciples unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know not when she are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not when she are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. Now, as Jesus was teaching here, he was teaching primarily to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders of his day. And you'll notice that he used many personal pronouns in here. He said, you are going to watch Abraham and Isaac and all the prophets enter into the kingdom and you're going to be shut out. It says that many are going to seek to enter into that door and shall not be able. Now, that's a scary verse to me. That tells me that many people who think they are saved are not. Many people go through life just hoping that someday It'll turn out okay. I want to challenge you. That's not Bible salvation. Bible salvation is not just hoping it will work out someday. You'll notice that many are going to knock at that door. The door is going to be shut and they're going to be knocking at that door and they're going to be protesting. And they're saying, Lord, you taught in our streets. We remember when you came to my hometown You sat down at my uncle's table and and we ate dinner together and you're not going to let me into heaven? Jesus is going to say, I don't know where you are, where you're from. You're not one of my children. My children are in here with me. If you're on the outside, it's because I don't know you. Your source of your religion is not my source. And because of that, You're going to be shut out. And then it comes this phrase, the last will be first. First will be last. 
You know what they say here? One of our favorite sayings. Good guys finish what? Last. Isn't that right? If you're going to finish first, if you're going to win the rat race, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to be the best rat. That's exactly correct. Say, well, preacher, I, I don't think we ought to put it that way. Well, let, let's be honest here. How can you win the rat race if you're not the best rat? And God hasn't called you to be a rat. You know what happened to sheep when they swim with the sharks? It's called lunch, after lunch snack, dinner time if they're still swimming. I mean, you're not supposed to be able to survive swimming with the sharks. Sheep don't belong in the shark pool. They're supposed to be following the shepherd. You can't have the Savior and the world. You cannot have the Savior and the respect of those who are in charge down here. There are many who disdain what goes on in our church. Just a bunch of ignorant little people think they're the only ones that are right. No, that's not us at all. Now, as I look out over our crowd, I don't see a lot of doctor's degrees and, and uh, all of those things. But it used to be, if a man understood this book, understood a lot of other things too, amen? I often tell people coming, they'll say, Pastor, the, the King James Bible, the language is so hard to read. I said, it's not, English is not my first language. And I challenge them, would you put forth the effort? Because if you'll put forth the effort to read this, you can read anything that's in the English language. It's worth the effort, my friend. And if you can't do that, we'll find the Bible in, in a language that you know that you can read and study, and then study them both together so you know what's going on here on Sunday morning. Amen? But that last will be first thing. It's okay to finish last in the world. It's okay to be considered ignorant by the world. Because most of the smart people around here don't believe in God. What's going to happen when they finally meet him? What was that goofball? Dawkins was his name. Uh, he was the, one of the leading proponents of, of evolution. He just died a little while ago. Wonder what happened when he met God. Do you think God was impressed with his advanced PhDs and all the books that he was written? You see, the last is going to be first in God's way of doing things, and the first are going to be last. Now, how many of you are willing to be last? Amen. Sign me up. I am not here to compete with the world. In fact, I know of a preacher 
they told the story. They just had, it was a large church, about 17, 1800, maybe close to 2,000. 500 people left the church all at one time and went to another church across town because they had a better rock band at the other church. I'm serious. You can't outworld the world, my friend. We're not here to compete with the world. We don't want our music to please you. We want it to please God. We don't want our demeanor to be cool with the dudes or whatever you say. I can't talk like that. It just doesn't work. I am what I am. Amen. Somebody said, Pastor, you look so funny when you try to talk hip. Yeah. It just doesn't fit, does it? That's on purpose. I I don't want to fit in because I want to be signed up for the last. I want to be signed up to be part of the few. I want to be one of those ones that God has worked the miracle because with men it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen? And what I want you to do this morning, if you would, as you're sitting here with us, is to take a moment and say, man, am I in that saved question mark category? I mean, I think I am. I hope I am. I'm pretty sure I am. Let me tell you, you're in the right place to make sure that you are and erase that question mark. If you're not sure about something, Now, I don't recommend this at home. If you do not know what you are doing, do not touch electrical wiring, all right? You must be trained. You need to know what you're doing before you go in that switch box and start moving things around and touching things. Uh, It may be the last thing you ever did. But I'll tell you, hook something up, and you flip the switch like this. (laughs) I'm not sure. Don't do it. All right? Hire somebody in that knows what they're doing. Because bad things could happen if you flip that switch and it isn't hooked up right. Now listen, why would we live our eternity? Well, I don't know when I'm going to die, but I'm just going to hope it works. That's not the scriptures. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may what? Know that ye have eternal life. And that ye might believe on the name of the Son of God. That's 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7 if you would. This is saved dot dot dot. Oh well, yeah. Okay, I'm saved. You ever met anybody like that? Yeah, yeah, I took care of that years ago. Uh, That's, yeah, 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 saved. No problems. All set. It always scares me when somebody does that. Because it ought not be just another thing on your list of accomplishments. By the way, you didn't accomplish salvation. Jesus did, amen? Amen. 
And here we have a story that starts in verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city which was a sinner. Now, we need to just give a classification here. All human beings are sinners. But when your Bible uses this term, it was an historical, cultural term that the Jewish people used. Your Bible was written by Jewish people. Every person reading the Bible would immediately understand what that word sinner meant. This was a Jewish person who cared nothing about the laws of God, nothing about morality. They were Jewish in heritage and In their name, they lived in a Jewish city, but they were part of that group of people that everybody knew never showed up at synagogue, never took a sacrifice to the temple. They could care less. A sinner, when that term is used, this woman was notorious in her town. Everybody knew she was part of that group of people that didn't pay a bit of attention to the Bible. Now, where does she show up? At the house of the Pharisee. And just remember that. We'll bring back to it in a minute. It says, A woman, and behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of Woman, that it is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, Pharisee's name, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor, Jesus is now speaking, which had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when he had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hast washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he saith unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within himself, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith. Let's read verse 50 carefully. And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. You see, 
Jesus was giving us a look into real life here. As he sat in the house of this Pharisee, a woman who was known to be a sinner. Well, I mean, I don't know. Pick one. Uh, What is it? Lady Gaga? Is that the new sinner out there today? What would happen if she showed up without her makeup on and actually wearing clothes for a change and came into church weeping and saying, I repent of my sins? That'd create quite a stir. Unless she just went back out and started doing the same old stuff all over again. Uh, I want to challenge you that it took an awful lot for this woman to show up at the house of the Pharisee. She was sneered at by the servants. The Pharisee who owned the house and was in control of everything was just trying to ignore her and hope that she would just go away, but she wouldn't. He was revolted inside just with the idea that this woman would be in his house, let alone accosting his guest of honor. Jesus looked at it a little differently. Don't read your Bible incorrectly. It was her faith that saved her. Once you have faith, you will love the Savior. And you will express that love for the Savior. And by the way, Jesus told us how we expressed our love, did he not? If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. It's not just a warm, wishy-gushy feeling inside. How many of you know pastor's recipe for a warm, she gushy feeling inside? My children all do. Oatmeal works every time. Lots of butter, brown sugar, a little milk. And you have to eat a lot of it. And you'll have that warm, she gushy feeling inside. I promise you, it's wonderful. But that ain't love. That's not worth getting married over, let me tell you. It's got to be more than oatmeal. Amen? This woman humbled herself, humiliated herself. She brought the greatest thing. And please don't confuse Luke chapter 8 with Mark chapter 12. Those were two different women. Jesus had a completely different response to the two different women. One was an act of worship. This was saying, thank you for forgiving my sins. I know some preachers disagree with that, but Jesus didn't tell the woman who anointed his feet the day before he rode the donkey through Jerusalem. He told her, this is going to be spoken of thee in memorial of what you've done. He didn't say that here. He told her, thy sins be forgiven thee. Let me ask you a question. How do you love somebody a little? Have you ever tried that? Could I challenge you it doesn't work? 
It's like going out back and trying to dig half a hole. Anybody ever try that? Give you $100 if you can dig half a hole. Because no matter how small a hole you dig, it's still a hole now, isn't it? You can't love a little. Just like you can't be free a little. You can't have a little love. You either love or you don't. You see, this Pharisee's attitude was real simple. I'm religious all my life. I've been the best that I possibly can. How would God reject me? And when Jesus himself showed up at the house, the one who forgives sins, well, you can wash your own feet. You can take care of yourself. I mean, I'm providing the food. Isn't that enough? This woman's attitude was completely different, was it not? It was, there is no personal humiliation that I can endure that matches what the Savior has done for me. There is no gift that I can give that would pay him back for what he has done. And he assured her that her sins, which were many, were forgiven. If you think that you just have a few sins and a few little imperfections that God needs to weed out, uh, if your salvation is just, well, I'm saved, I took care of that, I'm, I'm really working on serving Christ, let me tell you, that's not Bible salvation. That's right. It's not ho-hum that Jesus saved you. It's not just another day that his blood was applied to pay the price for every sin that you have ever sinned until we're willing to put ourselves in the place of that woman who totally humiliated herself in the presence of others that she could say thank you to Jesus. Let me tell you, salvation is a real and wonderful thing. And it changes everything about you. And by the way, there is no such person who has sinned a little sins. Our debt is immeasurable. Every one of us. The Bible puts it this way. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in his sight. The best that we can do is far beyond worthless. It's offensive to God. And if we'll come and plead for his mercy, his salvation is there. Amen? Now let's get to the last point. I wish I could spend the whole morning on this point. Saved with an exclamation point. But we will end on time by God's grace. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15 if you would. Let me show you how saved works with an exclamation point. How many of you know the story of the prodigal son? Now, let me tell you, who was the most excited person in the house when the prodigal came home? There we go, yes. Some people have actually read the story. It wasn't the prodigal son. It was the father. He was the one that was excited. 
Sometimes we think in order to get saved, we have to have electrical shocks running through our body and twitching and jumping up and down and doing all kinds of weird things and just woo-hoo-hoo. That's not salvation. Take your finger out of the socket, amen? It'll stop. Don't try that at home. It's dangerous. Okay, guys? When the prodigal showed up, it was the father that ran out to meet him and embrace him. And by the way, the prodigal hadn't had time to take a bath yet. The father still hugged him and loved him. That's a picture of God's love. He loves you the way you are. Don't try to fix yourself up to please him. That's offensive. Come just the way you are. But by the way, was it the prodigal that went to the dad and said, well, you know, dad, I'm home. You're giving me these new clothes to wear and and a ring on my finger and, and, and I'm your son again. Let's have a party to celebrate. Was that the prodigal's idea? Absolutely not. It was the father's idea. Could I challenge you? The most embarrassed person at the party was the prodigal. But he was saved with an exclamation point. Not because he was so happy and jumping up and down. Imagine he felt kind of self-conscious and like everybody, why are they all staring at me? He didn't have to ask that question. He knew why they were all staring at him. They were thinking, do you know what he did? Do you know where he's been? Do you know the things that he's done? And his father still loved him. That's the testimony of a Christian. Amen. Uh, By the way, when the father started shouting orders, what did the prodigal do? He shut up. He didn't have anything more to say. He had had it all worked out. Father, I'll be as one of your hired servants. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Just let me have a little corner in the in the slave shack and I'll be fine and satisfied. And his father said, you're not living that way. You're my son. You're going to live in my house. You're going to let people know that you're my son. You're going to let people know that what you did in the past ain't going to be no more because you're living in my house now. Somebody said, are you one of them mean fathers that make your kids live by the rules? You betcha. You know why? Because doing what's right is the best thing in the world for your kids. Amen. And living according to God's rules are the best thing in the world for you. That doesn't mean you have to be all excited about it. But you'd better do it if you're living in the Father's house. Amen? That's the story of the prodigal, is it not? When he came home, it wasn't going to be no more his way. It was all according to the Father. Every bit of food he ate, everything he did, every deed he did, every work, uh, ounce of work that he labored, it was no longer his. He had lost everything. It all belonged to the Father. And he said, I'll do it so I can live in the Father's love instead of mine. 
His love didn't take him very far, did it? How about Peter? How many love the old apostle Peter? He is one of my favorites. Because he's so human. Lord, I'll not deny thee. I'll die with thee. Jesus? Who's he? Never heard of him before. Third time it said he began to curse and swear. And they, they knew Jesus' disciples didn't talk like that. So nobody asked him anymore. But who preached on the day of Pentecost? Uh, Peter did, didn't he? You know why? Because he got saved. Amen? Remember what the Pharisees and the scribes said when they heard Peter and John talking to him? It says they took notice that these men had been with Jesus. Wouldn't you like the world to look at you and say, you've got to be one of them Jesus freaks. Amen. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like my Savior. That's saved with an exclamation point. But it was no more Peter. Peter had enough of Peter. It was all going to be Jesus from now on out. Turn with me to 1 Timothy. If you got to Hebrews, you got too far. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom? I am chief. How many of you know who was writing those words? The Apostle Paul. Paul was writing to Timothy. Now, you can argue over who's the greatest Christian in the Bible other than Lord Jesus Christ. I, I refuse to waste my time with such arguments. But let me tell you, Paul was a great servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul evaluated himself before Timothy and was trying to encourage Timothy in service for the Lord, he said, I want you to know something. I want you to write this down. I want you to print it and hang it on the wall that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Amen? And he said, of whom I am chief. He said, I'm the greatest sinner of all. Why would Paul say that? Well, read Philippians chapter 3. In the Jews' religion, he was, for lack of a better term, super Jew. I mean, nobody compared to Paul. You wanted to take a knowledge test of ancient Judaica? Paul wrote the test. He knew more about more things that are absolutely worthless than any other man in history. 
What did it say in Philippians chapter 3? And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. You see, Paul, when he looked at himself, said, my righteousness didn't save me. How many of you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized word for word? I'm just showing you what you ought to do. I don't. Okay. Do you realize that that was just part of the entrance exam to be a Pharisee? That was Pharisee 101. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he gave that testimony in the presence of the high priest who wanted to have him destroyed and the high priest refused to rescind Paul's testimony because he knew he couldn't judge Paul on those things. And yet Paul said, this is a faithful saying. This, this is the, what's worthy of all acceptation. Put it on the wall. Advertise it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. So that's the attitude of somebody who got saved. Exclamation point. Because you take your eyes off yourself. And you put them on the Savior. Amen. Peter, he tried to serve the Lord in his own effort. And you can argue about all those things if you want, but Peter didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like you and I have until after the resurrection. There's a difference. Peter never went back after the resurrection. That prodigal son, he came home while he still smelled like the pigs. He had to endure the hugs and kisses of a loving father. It's kind of humiliating, isn't it? The work on your pride, which is the greatest sin in all the scriptures. You want to be saved with an exclamation point. All you got to do is surrender everything to the Savior. That's salvation. Nobody can do it for you. For whosoever shall what? Call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When did you ask him to save you? Oh, I do that every day. Oh, wait, wait a minute. If you ask him to save you every day, isn't that a testimony that you didn't believe what you asked, that he did what you asked him to do the day before? It is. You don't ask Jesus to save you every day because he saves you when he does it. He does it right. It never needs to be done again. He says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Salvation, Jesus' way, is all are nothing. You ask him to save you. And he does. Now I just want to challenge us in these last few moments. Every one of us in this room is in one of these three categories. Saved? Hope so. 
think so. Well, if he's saved, I'm saved. I mean, my life is as good as his. Or she's saved. If she's saved, I know there's hope for me. Well, wait a minute. If you're not sure it's going to work, don't flip the switch. Come to Jesus and let him fix it. Amen. I hope we don't have anybody here today that's saved. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Did that a long time ago. I'm on to more important things. Let me tell you something. I've been saved. Let me add it up here. 30, yeah, 34 years. And I'm not over it yet. Just getting started. And I'll tell you, there's still some struggles living for the Savior. But it's not His fault. It's my fault. Because when He saved me, He did it right. Amen? It's never been saved, oh well. It's saved because He did it all. Maybe you need to become like the prodigal and look at yourself as you truly are. Lost. On your way to an eternity without God of no hope. Will you come to the Father today and let it be His way and not yours? If you'll knock at that door, He'll let you in. Now. Don't wait until it's too late. In fact, The prodigal didn't have to knock at the door now, did he? The father ran out and met him on the way. Somebody said, Pastor, I don't know if I could walk down that long church aisle. He said, Jesus walked from heaven's glory to an old rugged cross. Why couldn't you just take a few steps for him today? You take the first one, he'll take the rest. By the way, his footsteps are a little bigger than yours are. He'll meet you. Amen. Just like the prodigal's father did. You may say, well, I'm like Peter. I've just failed. I've tried so hard. Well, how about you let Jesus do it through you instead of you trying to do it for him? Works better that way, doesn't it? And stop thinking how good you are and what you have to offer. The apostle Paul said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of whom? I am chief. Paul was not using hyperbole. He was not exaggerating the point. He's saying, listen, I had entire books of this Bible memorized. I knew more about religion than all the Jewish leaders in in." Jerusalem today put together. He said, but I had to get rid of it all so I could have the Savior. Are you saved today with an exclamation point? If you're not, don't leave till you get that way, please. All God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we're here this morning to plead for souls. The eternal destiny 
of individuals in this room are in the balance this morning. Lord, I pray that those that are here and are confused and questioning salvation would take time to allow somebody to open the Bible and answer their questions from God's Word. Lord, I pray that if there be someone in here today that is ho-hum, matter-of-fact about their salvation, they would understand that that's not a Bible kind of salvation. We don't deserve salvation. We're like that woman that was a sinner. We're offensive. And if we'll come to you, you'll save us. But it's not because of us. It's not because of what we can do. It's because we believe that you love us and you want to save us that you will, Lord. That's why you died on the cross. Lord, I pray that we would look at ourselves as that prodigal coming home to the Father's love, being embarrassed by the stares of others, but knowing I'm home and I'm safe and I'll be provided for, not because of anything except the love of the Father. That we'd be like Peter, who would understand that our own efforts is but to fail, but to trust in the Savior is victory all the way. And like the Apostle Paul, to understand that Jesus doesn't save religious people. He doesn't save the good people who don't think they need it or try to offer their goodness to God. He saves sinners. Lord, we ask that your work would be done in each heart and life here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.